0: Today on CityCast Pittsburgh, did you know the first ever paramedics were a group of black men from the Hill District? The Freedom House Ambulance Service launched in the late 60s and basically created emergency medical care as we know it. But the story isn't very well known. I'm with journalist Kevin Hazard, whose new book, American Sirens, is out to change that. It's Tuesday, November 22nd. I'm Morgan Moody, and this is CityCast Pittsburgh. I think it's hard for me uh, to imagine a world, you know, without paramedics or without access to, to paramedics. So who was responding to medical emergencies and getting people to the hospital before paramedics broadly were a thing?
1: Depends on where you lived. Um, mm. You know, in a lot of places, And if you can imagine it, it's two undertakers in a hearse. They are the business with a vehicle that can handle a body that's lying down. So you know, you have people that are embalming one night, transporting the next, uh, which is a very scary thought to be looking up in the middle of your emergency and see a hearse.
0: Yeah, that that, that can't feel comforting to get in that and think that you're going to get help. Yeah,
1: no, not at all. The conflict (laughs) of interest alone is, you know, like, but so that's one. You might have volunteer firefighters who have very little you know in many cases you're talking about people with about the same training as a lifeguard at a public pool Mm. and then in the city of pittsburgh itself um, a lot of cities had this but in, in pittsburgh it was the police they would show up in these wagons um usually they were you know oftentimes older cops and again who had very little training and that was that was what you had it was essentially a drive um if something went wrong and you were at home in the grocery store, in the street, whatever, what the entirety of the American medical service could provide you with was a ride.
0: I imagine there were a lot of preventable deaths that happened uh, during that time.
1: Yeah. So in 1965, this paper is published. It says... um, Among other things, that in 1965 alone, more Americans were killed in highway accidents than the entirety of the Korean War. And that pamphlet refers to trauma as the the sort of hidden epidemic of the modern age, which it really was. I mean, there were a ton of people that were dying that didn't need to uh, Mm -hmm. simply because there was no help for them.
0: So ambulance service wasn't great for anybody, but it was even worse for black residents, especially um, what people in the Hill District?
1: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure... What people in the Hill faced was probably similar similar to what people around the country face. But, mm. you know, imagine a world in which the person you have to call in an emergency is the police. And in a neighborhood like the Hill, that relationship is already antagonistic.
0: Yeah, you already don't trust the police, yeah.
1: Yeah. So you they show up, if they show up, because sometimes they, they, they just wouldn't take the call. Mm. Um and if they showed up, they might make a judgment on what they thought was happening based on where you live. And so, hmm. you know, there was there was one gentleman by the name of Mitch Brown, who event, eventually became a Freedom House paramedic whose mother was having a stroke. Cop showed up, said, nope, she's drunk. Um, he tried to explain that his mother did not drink, uh, that there was no way she was drunk, that there was a medical emergency going on. They said, no, there isn't. Mm-hmm. So he had to carry his own mother to the ambulance, put her in. They closed the doors because they didn't ride in the back. They both jumped up front. And drove her to the hospital. And that was the last time he saw his mother alive. So care wasn't good for anybody. It was particularly bad if you lived in a in a neighborhood that the police had little regard for.
0: So the motivation is there to start something, but how did they get the Freedom House like off the ground and start it?
1: So people know, like, hey, there's this huge hole in the healthcare system. Do something, but nobody knows what. Nobody knows who will do it, how to pay for it. It's mm-hmm. just sort of dumped out there as 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 a hypothetical almost. And there's this guy by the name of Peter Saffer. He's an Austrian-born anesthesiologist. He moves to Pittsburgh, you know, as the country is waking up to the idea that, oh my God, there's this huge problem. We don't know how to fix it. And so he just takes it upon himself to do this. He his daughter died of an asthma attack, who, mm-hmm. you know, he was the attending physician when she arrived at the hospital. Had she had care, she might have survived. Mm-hmm. So he knew all too well how critical this was. And so by himself, he devises the world's first paramedic training program, which is eight months long in the classroom, followed by time in the OR, the ER, OB, ICU, the morgue. Hmm. He designs the ambulance. He determines what sort of equipment and um, medicine should be carried on this these ambulances. So he has everything, essentially, for this new profession, except the people. Lacrosse well, town... In the Hill District, there's this organization called Freedom House. And so, you know, this is in the wake of Renaissance, right? So, mm-hmm. the urban renewal program has already scraped a huge chunk of the hill to the ground. 8,000 right. people are displaced. The neighborhood becomes overcrowded. A sense of hopelessness sets in. And Jim McCoy, who's a uh, civil rights activist, Starts Freedom House with the idea of of bringing training, job training programs to people in a neighborhood. He didn't he didn't want just any job. He wanted something aspirational, something that could lift people up to another level. But he was having trouble finding one. And there's a, a guy by the name of Phil Hallen who worked for the Falk Medical Foundation, and that foundation th- their their mandate was to sort of knit together holes that racism had cut in the public health safety net. So Hallen mm-hmm. approaches Freedom House, and he basically helps them come together with Peter Saffer. So Freedom House has all these people, but doesn't yet have an aspirational idea. Peter Saffer has this aspirational idea of no people. They come together, and you know, in that moment, uh, the world's first paramedic training course is born. And because of Freedom House's mandate, its location, its philosophy, McCoy says, look, y- you can do anything you want, but the people that, that we recruit for this have to be black and they have to be from the Hill. On that, we won't negotiate. And Saffer says, mm-hmm. let's do it. And then there you have it. That's how the world's first paramedics end up being, you know, two dozen black men from the Hill district.
0: All the things these paramedics were doing at the time, it was kind of groundbreaking, you know, intubating you know, patients, CPR was new at the time. What were some of the wildest stories that you heard while you were writing this book?
1: There's, you know, some crazy ones. I mean, again, the, the police had been running uh, medical calls in the city. So not only are these two groups that are sort of destined to clash with one another, right. but Freedom House, if they're successful, will be taking jobs from the police. So there's, there's, there's this other dynamic at work as well. Mm. And so oftentimes the police aren't giving them these critical calls that they should be giving them in the Hill District, in Oakland, and downtown. And mm. they realize that that's happening. So they get their hands on a police scanner and they just start listening to these police calls drop. And when they, when they see that they aren't being dispatched to a call, they just take it upon themselves to jump it. And so they run out to their ambulance, hop in and they tear across town. The image of, you know, this, this group of young black men who are racing police officers to the scene of a crime just like sort of upends everything you thought. And then they get there and the cops don't know that they have the scanner. And you know, you can smell the brake smoking from their ambulance, and they're like, "Oh no, we, we just happened to be in a neighborhood and stumbled across it, and you know, like they're trying to casually play this off." And the cops are looking at them like, "We know something's happening." These helpful
0: medical <laughs> vigilantes. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Do you like to dance?
0: the atmosphere, the racial atmosphere, I mean, it's not great now in Pittsburgh, but I'm sure during the 60s and, and 70s, it, it wasn't great then. Um, so your police are against it. How about patients? Uh, w- you know, were people open to being treated by them?
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's funny. So there's, in terms of patients, there's, it's a very complicated question, because on the one hand, you know, there's the bylaws that said, hey, you cannot, you know, if you sell your house, you can only sell it to white people. Those are being stripped from the books. And mm-hmm. so in out in the suburbs, you have people who, for the first time, are living on a street in which a black family can buy a house. And so people start spite-selling their homes to black families. Mm-hmm. Well, if, if someone from that environment, like in which it's so odious to have a black neighborhood that I would sell my house because it's going to make my neighbors angry... Pulls into downtown Pittsburgh to go to work and now is a heart attack. And the people who show up to their emergency and, and who are about to lay hands on them are black men. Like I I mean, that's you know, all the ingredients. That still there.
0: happens <laughs> now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, it it it's it's nuts. And they have, you know, they they have stories in which they had to essentially look people in the eye and say, okay, you have two choices here. We can either help you or uh we cannot, and perhaps you die. And and oftentimes there was this. Uh, moment of hesitation, which people are weighing their options.
0: That's, that's a that's a wild, deep amount of racism to to harbor. To think I like mean, I'd rather die than to let this person who is a different skin color than me uh, treat me.
1: That it's a conversation it says all you need <laughs> to know. And yet, while that's happening, you know, there's this um, early '70s a heroin epidemic sweeps into Pittsburgh, mm. and deaths are going down in the hill as they're going up in white neighborhoods. And people begin to look around and say, why is that? Well, the, the reason, of course, is that Peter Saffer, having been an anesthesiologist, knows the best way to counteract the effects of an opiate is with Narcan.
2: Hmm.
1: So he trains the medics how to use Narcan, and they trot it out into the streets. It's the first time it's used in this in this way. Well, people in in neighborhoods where Freedom House doesn't operate are saying, well, wait a minute, why are they getting that great care? We want that care as well. So, like, they want it. They want what these guys are doing. They they want the pioneering medicine that's being used in these neighborhoods. They they just don't want the people who are doing it. So it's a very becomes this this really tangled, <laughs> classically American story.
0: Whatever ended up happening to the Freedom House ambulance service, does it still exist today?
1: No. So mm-hmm. in seventy five, um, the city sort of throws up its hands and says, okay, they had been resisting this new uh, brand of medicine almost from the beginning. And they finally have to admit that, okay, this thing is real. You can successfully practice medicine in the back of a moving vehicle. Every other city in America is doing this. We need to do this. So fine, we will invest the money necessary to do this. We just aren't going to do it with these guys. And so they start their own service and cut off Freedom House's funding. And then basically Freedom House goes away. Uh, There's a doctor there at the time, Nancy Caroline, who is sort of the on the ground expert. She's the physician who spent the most time in around with ambulances and the city needs her expertise. And so they come to her and they say, hey, this is, by the way, they've, they've shut her program. You know, like she works for this program. They've shut it down in no uncertain terms and are happy to let watch it go away, they are already dancing on its grave, and they come to her and say, "Hey, um, we need your expertise." Which the the gall of of that is, you know, kind of mind blowing. Mm-hmm. And so she says, "Fine, I'll help you, but you need to hire every one of my people who wants to go." And so these, you know, up until this point, these guys had been sitting around wondering what their fate was going to be, and it takes a realization from city leadership that they don't know what they're doing, that they're going to need help. Um, before they sort of plug their nose and swallow this pill uh, that is, you know, hiring the Freedom House employees.
0: And the mayor of Pittsburgh at the time, Peter Flaherty, was a big part in that decision, right, of getting rid of Freedom House
1: yeah, you know, for the first few years that Freedom House is there, he he just he just doubts that it is a a, a program that is of use. Um he's he's against public private partnerships, he's not sure about the medicine, but you know, there seem to be some other objections as well. You know, people involved, you know, will we'll look back on it in varying degrees and say uh you know, I I think race was a factor in his decision and, and how mm. he viewed us, you know, played into ultimately what he did with the program. Uh, but he wasn't alone. There were people in county government who pushed back. There were people in city government who were supporters and thought that it was, you know, a crime that Pittsburgh had created this thing that the entire country was beginning to follow and yet refused to accept it at home.
0: And Kevin, you're actually a former paramedic. Was learning about Freedom House at all? Like a part of your your training or how did you end up uh, learning about it?
1: Now, that's part of what set me down this thing. Um, you know, I spent a decade as a paramedic. It was one of the the formative periods of my life. You know, these guys, they are my forebears. You know, like the work mm-hmm. they put in, that created me 40 years later. And that I had never heard of any of this, That that in my early EMT days and early paramedic school days, I had learned about the Napoleonic Wars, because he was the first one to use triage, and I'd learned all these other little facts, but nobody had ever said, hey, by the way, from 67 to 75, this incredibly important thing happened, and these are the people who did it. It just made me angry. You know, to me, it just felt like an incredibly important piece of history that needed to be brought to the surface. And of course, you know, um, once you do that, you begin to encounter the people involved who say, you know, like... Kind of raising their hand, saying, "You know, we've been, we've been trying to get the world to listen to us since 1975."
0: What do you think we can learn from the story of uh, the Freedom House ambulance service?
1: I mean, first is perseverance and grace. I mean, the things these guys did, mm-hmm. you know, to to invent. I mean, I, tell you, I I did this job for a long time. It is a really difficult thing to do. It is not easy. Medicine is best practiced like in a, in a quiet, controlled environment. Um, when yeah. you are in a restaurant and you know some four-year-old is choking and there are fifty people around you screaming and panicking, and the parents are hitting you because they're screaming and panicking,
2: um, yeah.
1: that is not the place to be doing that. And yet, that's that's the reality of this job—to know that they were working that job under the conditions they were working them under, to be fighting their patients, to be fighting the police, to be fighting the city government. Um, to be fighting certain segments of their own city is... is, And in all the thousands of newspaper articles that appear about this fight in the 60s and 70s, not one, and there would have been one because they had enemies, um, there's not one story of someone who said, oh, these guys didn't do what they were supposed to do. There's not one story of an angry Freedom House medic turning around and punching some guy who got in his face. It doesn't happen. Like they performed yeah. with tremendous grace. So that's the first thing. The second, of course, is more than anything, their nation place a call for help. And they answered that call. And, you know, they were, they were going to answer it for their neighbors, for their mothers, but they were going to answer it for me too. Um, and anyone else who needed it. And that spirit that they brought to this task that they, that they had it, it, that's really what, what should be the focus of this thing is that, you know, 24 guys from a part of town that everybody counted out uh, who had every reason to be bitter and angry weren't. They were absolutely gallant every day when they showed up, and they were prepared to do their job, a difficult job for anyone, even people um, that they would have had every right to walk away from. I mean it's it's remarkable if if it, you know we're always looking for those like those kind of underdog, stories in American lore, you know, the quiet hero who comes in and just does the right thing even when nobody else is, well, that's what this story is.
0: Kevin Hazard is a journalist and former paramedic. His new book is American Sirens, the incredible story of the Black men who became America's first paramedics. Kevin, thank you so much for joining us.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: A little more news before you go. A for-profit school downtown is closing abruptly. Students at the Pittsburgh Career Institute got two weeks' notice that their school would be shutting down. They can try to finish their degrees by this Wednesday or else they're going to have to transfer somewhere else. PCI's president says the Department of Education revoked its academic accreditation, but she hasn't said why. The Carnegie Science Center has opened a new permanent exhibit about Mars, but it won't just be cut and dry facts about the red planet. The exhibit shows seven things that humans would need to do in order to live on Mars and focuses on the issues of sustainability and climate change. Elon Musk should be banned, he does not need to be at that. The exhibit will be replacing RoboWorld on the second floor. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you enjoyed the show, tell a friend, rate the show, listen to us on Mars. I don't know. Leave us a review and subscribe to our morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. So we'll see you then. It
2: wouldn't be a holiday if there's not family drama.